Be Victorious, the series that we're in this month. So today we're, we're going to be talking about Be Victorious. Let me read to you here right off the bat, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Interesting, huh? But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So I, I think today, really, I could title my message, not just Be Victorious, but maybe this is, how do you defeat an enemy you can't touch or actually physically harm? You know, because when you, when you, when you read the Bible verses and hear messages about David and Goliath, we see that David, you know, he, he kills him. And we can't do that. <laughs> I mean, you could, but there's consequences for murdering another human being. And so what, what do we do then? What do we do here in, in this day and age, in this, this, this century, this decade that we live in? How do we as Christians defeat our enemies? There's, there's obviously amazing lessons to be learned from, from David and Goliath, but I think also it's important to understand that we just can't be going around throwing rocks at people we don't like and, um, you know, and all these things. And so we, we do, we, we fight against not our brothers and sisters. We're not in a fight against the person sitting next to you. We're not fighting the people in our home, the people in our workplace. We're not physically getting in altercations with these things. And so today we want to talk about how to defeat an, a different kind of enemy, a different kind of way. And as a matter of fact, there was another enemy. I don't know if you want to call it an enemy, but there was another giant in David's life that he defeated completely opposite of Goliath. And that actually was the giant named Saul. And there was a complete difference between fighting Goliath and then waging a fight against Saul. I mean, clearly, if you read the stories, if you read your Bible, if you're familiar with everything happening here in, in, in the Bible, David would re- absolutely refuse to lift his hand against Saul. And, and even sent out a command to, to tell his, his army, do not hurt him, do not harm him, do not lay your hand even against him. But yet Saul was a giant in David's life that he actually did end up defeating just very differently. Interesting, isn't it? I, could, I would be confident enough to say today, that every single person in this room has a Saul in their life that they will need to defeat one day. A giant in our life that we're not actually going to physically kill, but it certainly needs to be defeated, but with different weapons. So the biggest difference, I believe, between a Saul in a Goliath is the length of time that you will be spend fighting this giant. I believe when I read my Bible and I believe when I study scriptures out, Goliaths are defeated quickly if you are courageous enough to put into action the steps God wants you to take. Years ago, I was struggling with a sickness. I had um, 
a bladder issue for about a year and a half. And I was afraid to go to the doctor. And it seemed like I would hear the Holy Spirit uh, speak to me through, through just talking with people and hearing messages uh, right here, even on this very stage from, from different speakers. And, and I could hear the Holy Spirit tell me, you, you need to go to the doctor. And it's one of those things where it's like, if I don't go to the doctor, then I'll never get a bad, the negative report and, I, and I'll be better because I was scared. Finally, I decided this has gotten too much out of hand. I, I, I don't feel right. I, I feel sick, constantly struggling. I go to the doctor, and sure enough, I'm getting, the, I'm getting the diagnosis that I was terrified of. And I leave my initial time with my, with my normal family doctor, and I, and I come home to my wife, and I am, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm, I'm devastated. I'm extremely nervous. I don't want to be sick. You know, all these things. And um, then I go to a, a church service that night. And this, this guy is preaching, and he's talking about David and Goliath. And I'm just, and, and it's one of those things where I, in my mind, all I can think about is what's happening in my body and, and what the doctor has told me. And then she told me, I'm going to go to all these specialists. And I asked her, okay, what is this specialist going to do to me? And she wouldn't even tell me because she said, if I tell you, you probably wouldn't go to the appointment. You know, oh, 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 what? You know, uh, it's like all my fears are coming to life. And so all I'm thinking about, and actually I ended up convincing her to tell me at least one of them, and she did, and she was right. I didn't want to go. And so I said, oh, don't tell me anymore. Don't tell me anymore. I leave, you know, I'm, 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 I'm done. And I'm at the church service, and all I can, it's like you can't even hear anybody, you can't even have conversations with people. I'm just like, this is my world right now. I'm like thinking about everything, but this guy is preaching and he says something that is in the word of God. And it's, I've heard this so many times. He just said it really plainly from the pulpit. He says, and David ran at Goliath. And as soon as he said that, it was like, he, I can't only explain it like this, that he had pulled back this arrow and boom, this arrow hit me in the heart. And I heard God say, you need to run at this thing. I knew exactly what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to make the phone calls, schedule every single appointment with those specialists, and go to those appointments. I knew exactly what that meant. You need to run at your Goliath. And was I scared? Yeah. Did the word of God give me some motivation and some sense of encouragement and hope? It did. But was I still scared? Yes, I was. And I felt the Lord speak to me, as you go, I will heal you. That's what I thought the Lord speak to me. And I said, Lord, I don't need to go. You can heal me right now. <laughs> What's up with that, God? That is a bad idea. I got a better idea. Don't, I don't want to go. But he was right. I, this is the strangest thing in the world. I went to the first appointment, and I was terrified, and I was sick. And I go there, and they do their thing. And this is strange. I hop in my car to drive home. I felt 25% better. I can't explain how that feels and how to really put that into words, but I felt stronger, but not totally myself. I went to the second appointment. I was driving home from the second appointment. I felt 50% better. 
and the Lord healed me as I went. And as I was going to the next appointment and the next appointment, I finally felt fully, tremendously healed. I actually walked into the very last appointment, which was the worst one of all. And this was the hardest one for me because I actually had felt really, I started feeling very good. I mean, when you're only 25% sick, but you had been living for almost a year and a half at 100% sickness, that 25% feels good. And I told my wife, I said, I don't need, I feel so good. I don't even need to go. And she, she reminded me of the word of the Lord. What did the Lord tell you to do? <laughs> God, why have you sent this woman into my life? You know, it's like, and I said, okay. And I, I kid you not. I'm in that chair. They had prepped me. I was ready to go. I was sitting in that chair. The doctor finally came in. He goes, I'm surprised you showed up. I said, why? He goes, oh, most men chicken out. When he said that, I felt so courageous. I felt every fear that I was battling, every sickness that was in front of me, it was like I had thrown my stone and I had killed my Goliath. Now you can take out your Goliath quickly if you act out with courage the steps God has laid out for you. I'm telling you, some, there's some problems in your life that are like Goliaths. They, they are very large. They are ne- they're the nemesis of your life. They're the, the, the worst fear has come true for me. I, I, I'm dealing with something. There, there's a problem. There's a situation. But if you are courageous enough to put into action the, the steps and the plan that God has laid out for you, Goliath will fall quickly because he's just words and no action. And here's what some Goliaths that were taken down in the Bible. I think of the, the woman with the issue of blood who was able to defeat her sickness like, like, like in a moment if she just broke protocol and pushed through and decided to touch the hem of Jesus' garments. But you understand she's not allowed to do that. See, she's got an issue where the, where the law says you need to be outside the, 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 the parameters of the city. You need to announce your sickness before you walk in. You're not allowed to touch another man. You're not allowed to be around these situations. What did she do? She pushed through all these things and obeyed God, which told her to touch the hem of Jesus. You see, and in a moment, she's healed. Because sometimes these things will last for years and years and years because we don't have the courage to just do the thing that God wants us to do. But if we would just do it and push through, Goliath falls quickly. I think about that woman with the issue of blood. I think about, I think about every leper who is courageous enough to approach Jesus and ask for healing. I think about every woman in the Bible who was courageous enough to approach Jesus, courageous enough to, 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 to come up to him and, and say, can we follow you? Can we be around you? I think about Nicodemus, a religious leader who had to have the courage to break from the ranks of, that re, of the religious leaders and become a follower of Jesus. All these people had giants in their life. People, society looking at them one way, and they, if, but when you act upon the word of God, your giant, your Goliath can fall quickly. I, all these people 
had some sort of sickness. They had some sort of ailment. They had a fear that was the staring down at them, but it falls quickly if you act. If you aren't courageous enough to confront your Goliath, then you will continue to live with your problem. I believe a Goliath, really, in our lives, is things like this. It's different than a Saul. And I'll tell you what a Saul is in just a moment, but I believe a Goliath because it can fall quickly, is, is a sickness. I, I believe there, that, that not only just a sickness, but a, a pain, a pain of some sort, a disease. Um, I believe these are the things that are the Goliaths in our life, a sickness, a pain, or a, a disease. But I believe a Saul is different than a Goliath because a Saul doesn't fall quickly. I told you the biggest difference between a, a Goliath and a Saul is the length of time that you spend fighting this giant. Both are big. Both are scary. You don't want to confront either of them. But if you confront the Goliath with the amount of courage that he is coming at you with, he'll cower away. He'll go down quickly. But a Saul is different. A Saul, on the other hand, is different because, because this giant does not fall quickly, but will eventually fall if you play the long game. Every Christian in this room right now is playing a long game and dealing with a Saul in their life. But let me explain something to you. A Saul is not a person. But a Saul is a symptom of life or a result of life. So I'll explain to you what some Sauls are. A Saul can be things like grief. Like I said, it's a symptom or a result of something happening to you that, that you begin to carry around. A grief, lust. Greed, rebellion, impatience, fear, and a, a some sort of sin bent that's in you. These are things that will want to cling on to us for the long haul. But they can be defeated. They will be defeated by the name of Jesus. Amen? Let me touch a moment on greed. Because... Everybody wants to get rich. And it seems like there's a, there's not right now more than ever, more get rich quick schemes that available to us, calling out to us than ever before. Um, and, and, and all these things. And I was watching, the, I was listening to this podcast. Now what happens is, is my son, he, he loves to watch uh, YouTube. Of course, my wife and I, we're, we're on him all the time. We don't let him watch by himself. We're, we're constantly uh, looking up these, these guys that he likes to watch on YouTube. So I started doing some research on one of these guys that he likes to watch on YouTube. His name's Mr. Beast. Maybe some of you heard of Mr. Beast. And maybe, maybe now after this message, you're going to go look up Mr. Beast. I know, it's a weird name, isn't it? Essentially, he started his YouTube channel when he was like 13 years old. Now he's like 23 or 24. So Mr. Beast feels really like a weird name, he says. But it's there. He's Mr. Beast. So 
he's in this podcast interview. He's being interviewed in this podcast. And this guy interviewing him is asking you about his YouTube channel. He's got over 200 million people subscribed to his YouTube channel. He'll, he'll pull up, put up a video and he'll have 240 million views on one video. He, he makes uh, these videos and he puts them out in multiple languages. So he's reaching YouTube Spanish, YouTube Portuguese. He's blowing it up. He's doing crazy stuff. And this guy asks him, you must be making mad money. And he goes, well, you know what? I give it all away. And the podcaster didn't even believe what, he, believe what the, the guy just said. He's like, no, 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 no way. He's like, actually, yeah, we do. He goes, I don't really, money is not my thing. He's like, I started this YouTube channel. I started making money. And right away, I started a nonprofit where I give all my money away. He's like, where do you live? He explained, he described his house to him where he lives. He lives in a small house in North Carolina. He'll do these videos where he'll give away a half a million dollars to somebody. He'll give away a half a million dollars to one guy. 30,000 here, 50,000 there, 100,000, nothing. He'll give away money, money, money. And he says, as a matter of fact, when I make a video, I can predict how much money this video is going to make, and I'll give it all away as I make the video so that at the end of the video, I, I come out to zero. He goes, I, I just want to be generous. And this guy's not even a Christian. And when I heard that, I thought to myself, Lord, I want to be generous. Take, the, take this monkey of greed off my bat, God. If a 23-year-old boy can have his head on his shoulders like this when it comes to money, I can do it too. And this is a guy where millions of dollars is passing through his hands on a weekly basis, and he's just giving it all away. Isn't that weird? Isn't that wild? But greed can be a Saul in our life. I want to touch just a little bit on fear. The Saul of fear. Fear doesn't really go away in an instant. It actually tends to go away if we, if we uh, you know, if there's a giant in our life and we're brave enough to attack a fear, like let's say my, with my sickness and with my bladder, and I was able to go to all those doctors, let me tell you something. I still don't like going to the doctor. It's not like that fear just went away, right? Um, you, you, there's, there's certain things that some of you you'll do, like public speaking, some of you have said yes to come up here and do like offering or, or something like that and, and, or intro the, the service. And public speaking is like your number one greatest fear. Listen, you did it afraid and you kind of defeated a little bit of that giant. But that giant of fear never really goes away. It's a long-term game here when it comes to fear sometimes. And it's just constantly showing up every single time and saying, I will not let this giant define me, defeat me, and determine how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live my life. And if God's going to use me, then I'm going to step up and I'm going to go. And so this, this giant of fear, it doesn't really go away in an instant, but you can defeat it in a, in a moment. You can defeat it quickly in a moment, but it kind of just keeps, it kind of keeps popping up. You think about like, there's so many giants of fear out there, but, but you can defeat fear in a way, but it will continue to just kind of pop up on you. So, so there's all these different things that are Saul's. And, you know, a Saul, I'll, I'll say it again, it's not a person. It's actually a sin bent in you. If we think we're fighting people, you will lose. You won't make it. If you're going around fighting all day, you're never going to make it. You're never going to get promoted. 
You're never gonna, you're never gonna make it. We're not finding people. This is not how you defeat a Saul. David's strategy to attack Saul was completely opposite of what it was when he attacked Goliath. But we see here Saul is a giant. In Samuel 8, Samuel chapter 8, Samuel the prophet warns the Israelites about kings. And the warnings that he gives in Samuel 8 are stark. But the people, I can't believe the people listen to all these warnings and then say, I want a king. But the people want a king. And who is appointed king after all these warnings are given? His name is Saul. So the Israelites were specifically warned about Saul. (laughs) And so we can see before Saul ever takes his position on that throne, this was going to be a disaster. This was going to be difficult. This was going to be a bumpy road. This was going to be a trial. This wasn't going to be good. So we see right from the beginning that Saul, he literally describes what Saul is going to do. Then he hands the throne over to this man named Saul. And so I am not surprised that Saul was a disaster. But I want to give you right now that strategies to defeat your giant named Saul. You ready for this? Number one, faithfulness. Faithfulness is a strategy that you use to defeat Saul. And when I say Saul, I want you to think of things like grief, greed, fear, lust, rebellion, things like this. Whatever you're dealing with, impatience, anger, whatever it may be, this is your Saul. So faithfulness. Saul cannot stand that you keep showing up, (laughs) and he will either eventually quit, give up, be fired, or die. 1 Samuel 15, verse 19 says this, Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? This is Samuel talking to Saul. Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? Let's skip down to verse 23. This is what Samuel tells him. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And this is the moment we see the kingdom is taken from Saul in this moment. You see, Saul will eventually, I'll tell you right now, quit, give up, be fired, or die. David needed to be persistent for over 20 years before he became king over all of Israel. Over 20 years. So let me ask you a question. How long are you going to pray about something? Do you know there's somebody in this room today that prayed for over 30 years before God answered their prayer? If that's you, can you wave at me? Pastor Rhonda, can you wave at me? There's somebody in this room that prayed for over 30 years before God answered that prayer. This is Pastor Rhonda. This is my mom. Faithfulness wins in the end. Persistent faithfulness wins in the end. How long will you continue to dream before that dream becomes a reality? You cannot give up 
if you're going to defeat your Saul. If you give up, then Saul wins. If you give up, then your fear wins, your, your greed wins, your anger wins, your impatience wins. The, the, these things that you're carrying around, they, if you just give up, that's when they take over. They become so strong that they'll take you out. But if you continue to be faithful, you will win. I was having a conversation um, with somebody on Friday, and they were talking about how a number of years ago they lost their lead pastor, and they've been, they've been um, sh- without a shepherd, without a pastor for now for five years at their church, and their church has gone from 14,000 people to 4,000 people. Now, 4,000 people is amazing, if you ask me, at a church service. But 14,000 people is better. So why has the church shrunk? Is because they haven't had a faithful leader for five years. There's power in faithfulness. I believe Cornerstone Church has a pretty full second service today, and we had a pretty full first service today too because of Pastor Tim's faithfulness during a season when many people quit, when many people threw in the towel, when many pastors said, this isn't worth it. I don't like COVID. I don't like anything. I'm out. Faithfulness is proven to be true in this room today. Can we give a round of applause? Come on. If you just stay faithful, they quit. COVID can't last. The injustices that we see around us, the tensions that we see, the things that we're going through, the, the battles we're, we're facing with our coworkers, if you just continue to be faithful, they quit. They get fired. They die off. You will win with faithfulness. Can I get an amen? A second thing that we see David did um, in the scriptures here to defeat Saul was praise and worship. He was a worshiper. We look at all the psalms that he wrote. We look at all these things that he did. He, was a, he, he, pray, he had the weapon of praise, the weapon of worship in his arsenal. Amen? I think it's interesting because there was a demon that would constantly torment Saul, but when David would come in and play his harp or his lyre, that, that, that evil spirit would leave him. Look at 1 Samuel 16, verse 23. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. When you praise, when you worship church, you get your heart aligned with God and begin to see your life as God sees it. You see, because I, I believe we don't see our life from an internal perspective like we should most of the time. I really don't believe that. I believe the majority of our stresses and worries would go away if we would see our life in the perspective of eternity and in perspective of heaven. Let me, let me encourage you today that heaven is not one long church service. <laughs> that what you experienced here today, it doesn't compare to what heaven and paradise will be. This is, this is but a... A, a, a fraction of a, per, of, of a percentage. This is a point zero 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 one percent of what paradise is like. 
Because paradise is, is, is the most amazing thing in the world. But, if, but our life, sometimes we spend our days, we spend our week, we march along with our days, and we march along in our week. And the, the, you know, the stresses come on this shoulder, and the assignments come on that shoulder, and we disappointed somebody on this shoulder, and we forgot to touch base with somebody on that shoulder, and you know, we were too harsh on our children on this shoulder. And by the time Saturday comes around, I can't take it anymore! But what happens when you get into the house of God on Sunday morning? You throw off those things, and for half an hour, you praise, and you worship, and you get a heaven perspective, and you begin to say, oh, Lord, I'm not perfect, but I really do love you, Jesus. And all those things that you thought were such heavyweights, they actually begin to fall off, and you get a fresh start, and his mercies are new every morning. But praise and worship gets you into that space. And that, I believe David lived in that space. Uh, he had to have. He, he just was a, he was a poet. He was a worship songwriter. He was a worshiper. He was in the, in the presence of God. He was wet with the Holy Spirit constantly. And Saul was dry and dead on the inside, tormented by an evil spirit. But let me encourage you once again. Your husband is not the enemy. And I hope, Jen, you're watching. Your boss is not your enemy. Your teachers are not your enemy. All these things are not your enemy. Your enemy who is currently right now under your feet, he's the enemy. He's got you thinking people are your cause of all your problems when in reality it's not people. It's your lack of perspective, your lack of forgiveness. It's our lack of grace that is causing all of our problems. The last way to the last strategy that I believe David, David put into practice to defeat this giant named Saul in his life was, this is an interesting one that I thought was, I pulled out of scripture, but number three, your talents. Your talents. Proverbs 18, verse 16, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. I believe David continually worked on his gifts and talents, but Saul soaked over all of his insecurities, wallowed in his insecurities. David killed his ten thousands, and Saul killed his thousands. David rallied armies unto himself, but Saul's army was led astray by Saul during battles. Saul and his army couldn't defeat Goliath. Saul and his army didn't properly defeat the Amalekites. You see, Saul is leading his army astray, and David is rallying his army. Winning battles at Ziklag. Winning battles over the Philistines. Guarding their pea patches. Defeating the enemy left and right. And Saul is fumbling and bumbling about. You see, David is working on his skills. David is working on his talents. David is writing his worship songs, writing out his poems to his God. David is rallying men and women and families unto himself. David is protecting his army. David is winning his battles. And Saul, who has the throne, is spending all his days worried about David. Sulking over his insecurities. You see, Saul is not as strong as you think he is. But he will go down eventually, right, church? 
David, like I said, he's working on his talents. It says that David was a man after God's own heart, but Saul was tormented by evil spirits. David was learning how to become a leader while Saul actually never got trained to become king. David gained wisdom as he waited, but Saul continued to rely on his good looks to succeed. Remember in Samuel 9, it says Saul was a head taller uh, than everybody else, and he was better looking than everybody else too. And when the people saw him, they're like, whoa, what a tall, good-looking man. Let's make him king. How weird. (laughs) But I will say today that there's some people in charge just based upon charisma and good looks. And unfortunately, those things are not enough to be in charge. Hmm. How long can a king last just based upon looks? Eventually, you get old and wrinkly. That stinks. <laughs> I keep waking up in the morning. I'm looking at myself in the mirror. I'm like, who's looking at me? How do you make these things go away? Can you reverse this? This is horrible. <sighs> Botox. Yeah, Botox. Am I allowed to get Botox? So, oh, I got a yes from Emily. Mm, I'm getting Botox. I mean, would you think less of me if I got Botox? No. Mm, I'm going to get it. Praise the Lord. While the world falls apart, and the world will fall apart. But you know the Bible actually talks about the end times? The world's going to get worse and worse and worse, but there's going to be a powerful move of God. Okay. So stop looking at the world. Get in church. Be a part of a community of faith. Experience a powerful move of God. Because while the world falls apart, we're going to become great. Right? At what God has given us. And we'll eventually find ourselves standing before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We'll be standing in front of great men and women of God. Amen, church? A shepherd will be victorious. David was a shepherd. Pastors are shepherds. The shepherds will be victorious. But a king, those who act like a king, God will remove them. God is unimpressed with kings. God is in the shepherd-making business. David was a shepherd, but Saul was a king. God will remove kings, and he will promote shepherds. There's a difference between a king and a shepherd. With a king, you have to ask permission to approach them. They insulate themselves. They're cruel in actions. They take from the poor and give to the rich. They send our sons into war to fight their battles. They're insecure about their position. They kill anyone who threatens them. There's no accountability. They see people as servants unto themselves. They seek power, position, and pleasure. People are attracted to kings, but in the end, kings leave you bitter and broken. But a shepherd, a shepherd is different. A shepherd helps people, loves people seeks accountability, looks to be around people who need help, serves first. They desire surrender, salvation, and joy in their flock. Amen? Isn't threatened by others. Ooh, this is good stuff. Kills the lion and the bear to protect the sheep. 
runs toward the front lines of battle. People are cruel to shepherds, but in the end, the shepherd cares for your soul. A shepherd will be victorious, but a king will be removed. A shepherd will be victorious because God will promote them. There's nothing that man can do to stop it. Revelation 3, verse 7. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. The one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I want to close with this story and then we've finished. This is a true story I want to tell you of a father who bought his three little kids a $5 bunny. The kids were at the pet store. There was a little bunny in the cage. And his three little kids begged him, Oh, Daddy, please, please, Daddy, please. We want the bunny. All he could think about was feeding the bunny, (laughs) cleaning the bunny, cleaning up after the bunny. What's he going to do when the bunny dies? But the eyes of his children, who begged for a $5 bunny, convinced him. All right, let's buy this bunny. So they take the bunny home, and the kids, you know, you know, three little kids. Who's going to hold the bunny? For how long are they going to hold the bunny? And it's my turn to hold the bunny. And so the kids are holding the bunny and there's so much excitement and there's so much joy and there's so much, oh, so fluffy. Just want to squeeze it. And they're fighting. They begin fighting over holding the bunny. And the dad says, what every dad says, you know, be careful with the bunny. You're going to hurt the bunny. And and the ruckus of passing it back and forth and fighting over it, they drop the bunny. And the bunny just yells in pain, you know. And so the dad picks up the bunny, and he's looking at its little feet, his paws. You know, that one's good, that one's good, that one's good. Uh-oh. The little bunny foot's broken. <gasps> oh, no. So he sees it. And he doesn't want to say anything to the kids because they just bought the bunny and and he looks at the kids and goes, oh, it broke its foot. Oh, and what do the kids say? We got to take it to the vet. We got to, dad, we got to take it to the hospital. We got to take it to the vet. We got to get the bunny fixed. And he's thinking to himself, it was only $5 for a bunny. And this is why he didn't want to buy the bunny. Kids. But he's looking at their eyes. He sees the tears and he says, let's go to the vet. So he takes the bunny and the kids to the vet. And the vet looks at the dad and looks at the bunny and says, how much did you pay for the bunny? $5. Well, it's going to cost $300 to fix its leg. Are you sure you want to do it? He looks at the kids. He thinks to himself, my, my wife's going to kill me. But he says, Yes. Let's fix the bunny's foot. So they brought the bunny back home with a pink cast on its little front foot. And it survived and it lived happily ever after. But 
What I want to say to you today is on the, really on the beginning of Easter here is that it didn't make any sense to put any effort and money and cost into fixing this bunny. But when you look at the joy on the children's faces, it was worth it. And we can say the same thing about Jesus for us today. Is that it was a huge cost for our salvation. For him to go through what he went through. But when he sees the joy of our salvation, it was worth the cost. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads and pray today. I wonder if there's anybody here today who would love to receive salvation. Receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. It's, it's April 10th. This could be your day where you come into the kingdom, where you become a, a follower of Jesus. You can begin today to start your journey on this Christianity, this, this faith journey that you're going to get, get going on. Today could be your day. I wonder if there's anybody here today who says, pray for me. I want to I accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. If that's you today, with every head bowed, every eye closed in this place, if that's you today, could you just privately, with nobody look around, just raise your hand. Let me know who you are. You say, pray for me, Pastor Lucas. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Anybody today?